Yes, welcome back to the Cajun Libertarian Live. I'm your host, the Cajun Libertarian. We have a Sunday night special tonight for y'all. I'm going to be speaking with David Gay, uh, Cuban rights and liberty activist, next on the Cajun Libertarian Live. All right, welcome back. Let's knock out these announcements and sponsors and get right into it. Very important night, very important content coming your way. So uh, website, CajunLibertarian.com, order merch, stay up to date on what's going on. You can PayPal me, CajunLibertarian1. Don't forget on Mondays and Fridays, you can call in, Anchor FM call-in moments. Fantastic. And then uh, also on Fridays, we have Cajun and Eskimo Show from Bayou's to Igloos. To our sponsors, we have Miss Ashley Smoot, who's part of my team. High-end bags and accessories, Fierce Luxury by Ashley, FierceLuxuryByAshley.com. Fierce Luxury is a high-end bag and accessories consignment store based online. They carry the hottest brand like Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Gucci, and Herms. Consign with them for a 30% fee, 20% less than most consignment stores. Find them online at FierceLuxuryByAshley.com and on Facebook in the exclusive group, Fierce Luxury, Fierce Luxury by Ashley. Also, Vid Debate. Vid Debate app, right? It's a video debate app. Vid Debate app is designed to give users the ability to use their God-given right of free speech to post up to three-minute videos on the topic of the day. Everyday video debate We'll post a question in the hopes to draw strong opinions from all sides of a range of topics from pop culture to politics. That is founded by Brian Lamar. And so with that being said, we will bring on the man of the hour, David Gay. Let's bring him on. What's up, guy? Oh, hold on. My mic was muted. There we go. <laughs> Patria huh? y vida, viva Cuba libre. Right. I'm sure you yeah, know what that last means. Yeah, I, ha I had to Google it. So, that sorry, means long live free Cuba. Yep. So as to, you uh, see, I'm sitting here in my car with a Cuban flag, and I am ready to go to tell you guys what's really happening in Cuba, what these protests are really about, and not what the TV is telling you. Yeah, and we're ready to hear it. Um, I know you've been sending me content on the back channel. I know you've been doing a lot of boots on the ground things, like a lot, and getting a lot of good information. So um, I want to talk about a little bit about your backstory and your history and why this matters so much to you. Yeah, well, for starters, I have been in the Cuban community here in the United States since 1994. Um, I'm, I'm just a white guy. I'm not Cuban. However, uh, at home, we don't speak English. We speak Cuban Spanish in my house. Um, since 1994, when there was a raft crisis in Cuba and they processed the refugees in Guantanamo base and sent them to Syracuse. And when they came here, uh, the chaplain had gone to seminary with my pastor 
and told them, when you get to Syracuse, call this pastor and he'll help you out. And I was in like level one Spanish class in middle school or first year of high school. And the pastor said, David, do you speak Spanish? You're taking Spanish class? I was like, yeah. And he said, well, you speak more Spanish than I do. So you're my interpreter. Wow. He took me to their house. And within a month, we hit it off. And I was pretty much a Cubanized American teenager. From there, I worked often. Oh, hello, Celeste. Someone sent me a greeting already. This is new to me. So from there, I went on during high school to spend a lot of time in the English second language, uh, English second language class, helping the refugee students learn how to speak English. So I also learned right. Vietnamese at the same time. So I speak Vietnamese and Cuban. It's a pretty interesting mix for just a white kid. Um, but by 1998, my wife actually came from Cuba. We started dating in the late 90s, and uh, she was a political refugee from Cuba, and her father her father was in a concentration camp in Cuba. And that's one of the things I'm going to want to talk about, uh, the way they whitewash the concentration camps that were in Cuba and some of them that still exist. Um, I also worked independently with uh, a baseball agency from 1999 to 2007 and my specific job was to go to international baseball tournaments and incite defections of cuban baseball players so i'm also wanted by the cuban government for those activities uh there's even a cuban version of csi obviously it's a propaganda film but you know csi is probably propaganda here in the united states too um And I'm the antagonist or one of the principal antagonists of that episode where they complain that we're intentionally stealing their baseball players so that so that we can ruin Cuba's image as this place where they have a lot of good baseball players. That's that's their propaganda version of it, of why I was doing that. Right. I mean, there's two reasons for me. There's a capital motivation. I mean, you can get a pretty good chunk of change if you help a Cuban ball player and they give you a you know, a representation deal and you get a small percentage of their contract. But I had been working with the Cuban Cuban community for so long here in the United States as a teenager that it was it was definitely a passion project for me. I loved the idea that they were escaping and going pro. I loved the idea that it was a black eye to the Castro regime. And I absolutely right. loved the chance to get in front of Cuban television cameras and tell Fidel Castro off to his face. Because I knew for a fact that all these baseball events were watched by Fidel Castro himself. He's a, he was a huge base, baseball fan. And he would even be at the flag bearers ceremony in Havana before the Cuban baseball team would go to any tournament, tournament, no matter how minor. So I knew for a fact that Fidel would know if I ever said anything offensive about him while I was at these tournaments. And sure enough... Uh, that did actually come true in 2003. Um, me and my associate were attacked by Cuban agents in Panama during the pre-Olympic tournament. Wow. And that made Panamanian news and it made Cuban news. And there's a big story with that. And I'm also on right. the doc- court case in Cuba of someone who dropped my name as a, as a, an associate that was helping her smuggle baseball players off of the island. And she only dropped my name so that she wouldn't drop the name of the people who were actually dangerous, uh, who she was actually working with. But that ended me, you know, that 
put me on a list in Cuba or another list or several lists. So for me, getting rid of the Cuban communist system, and, and then there's the other aspect of the fact that I'm a liberty activist, and communism is one of the greatest totalitarian evils that we have had in the last century and a half. And Cuba is the number one exporter of communism to our hemisphere and to many poor developing countries around the world. So for me, it's very important that we take the threat of Cubans infiltration in the rest of the world seriously, including into American academia, American media, politicians, and the left in general. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how are you seeing that play out over here? So I've had Martha Bueno on before as well, and very recently, and she's really kind of saying uh, y'all are speaking a lot of the same language in the fact that she's seeing the writing on the wall here. Is that the same for you? Yeah. Well, we see, I know that when Martha was on, she was talking about, you know, more in generalities of this is how Cuba operates. This is how Cuba does. But since then there have been recent developments of, right just the fact that the United States is co- running cover for them. I mean, in a, in a way, the U.S. media and the left and academia are running cover for what the Cuban government is doing right now. So there are protests that are happening in Cuba that started on July 11th. And incidentally, my, and this is a little more backstory for you. My grandmother was a Christian missionary in Peru, a Bible translator. The linguistics runs in my family, actually. My brother speaks several languages. I speak several languages. Um, But she was a Bible translator in in Peru in the 70s and 80s during the reign of terror of the Shining Path Marxist movement. And the Shining Path, if people know about them, um, they were definitely backed by Cuba. Um, There's it's difficult to find information about how much Cuba supported that, that insurrection, but it was really bad. My grandmother would come home and she would show us slides of people who were in the struggle against communism in Peru. And they would terrorize the churches that she was planting and they would terrorize Christians and religious people. And she would tell us stories about how her and her friends had to deal with communist terrorists in Peru. And I, and I was only four years old. Right. And so she died on July 11th, the day Cuba rose up for the first time in my lifetime. And so there's also a very emotional impact in that for me. But uh, Cuba, the Cuban government, the Cuban government is very abusive. They're tortuous, torturous. They, uh, they do all sorts of just horrible human rights violations and the people are sick of it. It's been 62 years or over the expanse of, uh, of second se- seven decades, the Cuban government has been terrorizing their people right. and the people have had enough of it. So they're out in the streets protesting in particular, they're inspired by seeing protests in the United States that were getting attention and getting, you know, for better or for worse, they were getting results. So they were inspired by that because that's what's changed is now people in Cuba have internet. So they have access to information that they didn't have access to before. And they have access to live streams of protests around the world when they didn't used to even know what a protest looked like. So this got started as a civil rights movement because mostly blacks in Cuba are targeted for 
imprisonment, for social dangerousness. Um, for example, there's all sorts of laws about what you can say in hip hop lyrics. And there's a movement called the San Isidro movement that started um, out of artists, poets, and singers where they were just going to be a, a conglomerate for free speech in Cuba. Right. And a lot of them have been tortured. Uh, some of them have, have, have had extended stays in Cuban gulags. And most of them right now are under house arrest. So the thing is, though, this was started as a civil rights movement in Cuba, like, a, like right. literally Black Lives Matter in real time and absolutely purposeful because the, the Cuban government is directly persecuting black people. And that's how it started. Now, once it got more popular, of course, everybody's joining in. Um, but it, it's because in general, human rights are not respected in Cuba. So, and, you know, this it's kind of cliche, but it's an all lives matter thing at this point. Right. And that's what you're seeing going on over there. This is getting worse. Am I wrong? Yes, it is getting worse uh, for many reasons. So the U.S. media, what I just told you, the reasons why they're protesting, right. they're protesting because it's a totalitarian communist regime, throws people in prison camps and gulags, doesn't let you speak freely. Uh, and then COVID lockdowns made it even worse. Uh, if you think lockdowns in the United States or Canada or even Australia are bad, uh, Cuba is much worse. You, nobody has been allowed to go to a funeral, even still. Uh, people have not been able to spend time with loved ones. If you're out in a group of more than three people, you could be charged with public endangerment. So there's all these factors. But the news media here got started on this nonsense lie that what they were protesting in Cuba was a lack of COVID vaccines. Right, right, right. Now... Cuba themselves, the Cuban government announced that they had enough COVID vaccines for the entire country. And that was like five or six months ago. And so Cuba was actually one of the first countries to roll out their own COVID vaccine. And they said they had enough. But Cuba also exchanges medicine and doctors that should be going to their people to other countries in order to plunder their resources. So that might be part of why those people are protesting. But in general, they're not protesting shortages. They're not protesting a COVID vaccine shortage. They're not protesting for lack of food, for lack of resources. They're protesting because they are being abused. They're not allowed to determine their own destinies in the world. They're not allowed to have foreign investments while the Cuban government has foreign and, and their officials have foreign investments in the hundreds of billions of dollars. That's right. But if a Cuban, as a Cuban citizen, were to do that, they could possibly be charged with some sort of act of treason. Yeah. And so um, talking about that exactly, what I've heard here recently, <clears throat> and not just from you, but from, from other people as well, is that they're, they're looking at shutting internet down over there and basically cutting the scenario off from the, you know, are any accessibility? Are you here? Yeah. Do I mean, I? The, they shut it off. They shut off electricity. They shut off the internet as much as they can, but it's unstoppable. I mean, right. eventually the Cuban people get mad enough and they restore electricity for a few days. Everybody charges their phone and then they use a VPN to connect to the rest of the world and find out what's going on. So nice. Cuba, Cubans have adapted and Cubans have always been very adaptable people. So, I mean, they right. still have 1940s Chevrolets running in Cuba 
because the people know how to make their own car parts aftermarket. Yeah, something so, else that I'm hearing from. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, something else that I'm hearing from maybe the more left side of the country is that um, they're trying to use examples of when we have when our own government has like kind of planted riots and protests. But what I'm from what everything I'm hearing and talking to, this is completely organic. Uh, I would say that it's very organic. I am a liberty activist myself, and I do absolutely don't take credit for what's happening in Cuba right now, but I know that I've had a part in it. Um, so I'll tell you how it started. There was a, well, the San Isidro movement got started and these people, these artists got started saying whatever they were, they wanted to say, even though they knew that they would be repressed, even though they knew they could right. be tortured, abused, or even killed. And an artist, a group called Gente de Sona, and they're famous in the United States for a song with Enrique Iglesias and Sean Paul called Bailando. Bailando! Yeah. Yeah. Bailando! Have you ever heard the song? Um, I'm not really a singer, guys. Um, and a foreign-based, a parents-based group called Orishas, and a singer who lives in New York and Miami named uh, Decemer Bueno teamed up with two artists from the San Isidro movement in Cuba to produce a hip hop song against the regime. Right. And that's the song Patria y Vida that people keep hearing about, which means fatherland and life, which is a play on the Cuban communist motto since Fidel took over of Patria o Muerte, which is, which is uh, fatherland or death. So if you're not with the fatherland, according to what the Cuban government calls the fatherland, then you deserve death. And Cubans were sick of that. And they said, well, maybe we should change our motto to fatherland and life. Maybe we should have a culture of life in our country. Wouldn't That's that right. be so So they made this song. And now Gente de Sona, Gente de Sona in particular, these are superstars in Cuba, on the island. Every Cuban that likes modern music loves Gente de Sona. And Gente de Sona had the liberty to live in Miami and be United States residents, but also play on the island whenever they wanted to, basically. Nice. And they built this massive following. I'm talking about like, this is like, man, I, I, don't, I don't know how to describe it. You know, there's great singers and you try to compare them to each other to say, oh, well, this is right. the Frank Sinatra of the island or the Elvis Presley or the Britney Spears. Free Britney, by the way. Um, nice. and, uh, and so you've got all these, all these like great examples. Gente de Sona is like that. So they had a huge following and they said, we're going to be responsible with our following. And we're going to try to end the Cuban communist regime with our following. So they made that song and there are sharp cutting words in the song. I mean, the, when the two artists from, when the two artists that live in Cuba that are in the San Isidro movement, their names are Michael Osorbo and it's Michael spelled M-A-Y-K-E-L. Osorbo, O-S-O-R-B-O. -O. You can look him up. And if you look up some of his lyrics to some of his other songs, right. they're very, very cutting against the Cuban regime. They say stuff like, we're ready. We're, we're sharpening our, our machetes. We're coming for you, Diaz-Canel. You know, they're not afraid. I mean, nice. some of us in America are afraid to post gun memes because we'll be associated with the Boogaloo movement. Meanwhile, the Kubaloo movement is just alive and well. Um, <laughs> 
So, but, but the lyrics in this song, he said, there were a bunch of us friends. We got together. We came out in the streets. We're expressing ourselves freely and we're ready to die for it. And they're telling the Cuban government, come and kill me. I'm ready to die for it. And the Cuban government can't do it because there's too many eyes of the world on it. What do you, what do you think is going to happen in the next couple of weeks? Well, you kind of, it kind of threw me off a little bit on that. I was going to Sorry. say something. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I do want to keep going on this thought because this is a hip hop song that just took over the world. The moment I heard it, I looked at my son who is also extremely Cubanized has his own Cuban family in Miami uh, and other parts of South Florida and in the Cuban diaspora around the world. And so he feels that he's extremely Cuban and he pays attention to current events in Cuba. And he loves gente de zona and orishas and some of these other artists. And I turned to him and I said, you got to hear this song because I guarantee you, Within the year, Cuba will have a liberty revolution, a liberty revival because of this song. And it inspired me so much that I took my father-in-law, who hadn't seen his family in Miami in 20 years since he left Cuba as a political prisoner, uh, as basically escaping the life of a political prisoner. Um, He hadn't seen them in 20 years. I brought him down to Florida to reunite with his family and talk about current events in Cuba. And I used that time while he was with his family to wander around South Florida, recruiting people to put the Patria y Vida profile filter nice. on Facebook pages and on their Twitters and on their Instagrams. And this is a revolutionary act because the people in Hialeah, for example, most of them have immediate family on the island still. And most right. of them are connected by social media directly with their family on the island. And so some of the first people to do it, they told me, you know, my my mom called me from Cuba and she said, why are you getting involved in American politics? You're going to cause all sorts of trouble for me. And so the Cuban government is watching the the social media accounts of people in the exterior uh, to to punish their families. But he and he said, mom, you're just going to have to deal with it because Cuba is a communist hellhole and it's time for that to end because Cuban people are amazing. We're resourceful. We're brilliant. And it's time to get rid of this evil regime that's using us as a farm. And by the way, who is it that sends you money and food anyway? Is it the government with their crumbs or is it me here in Miami with my job that I work really hard at for 14 hours a day? You're just going to have to shut up or I'm going to stop sending you food. Is what he told her. Wow. Oh, my so, God. So she took it. She took it. She let him do it. And he started to spread the word. And we started to spread the word. And a lot of people, including Martha Bueno and Zach Foster and some other yeah. people, got out there and said, what you need to do if you are Cuban and you want Cubans to start thinking about liberty is say Patria y Vida on your profile. And it's such a sharp contrast to the Cuban government because saying Patria Muerte is literally, it's a Cuban greeting. That's how they start all their uh, committees for the defense of the revolution meetings. That's how they oh, wow. end all the speeches. And the, the, the people are supposed to respond to that. It's Patria Muerte. And everybody says, Venceremos, which means we will be victorious. 
Wow. So it's very cutting to say Patria Vida in Cuba. And it's very cutting to the Cuban people to see their family members in the exterior saying this. So it either makes them an enemy of the state or it makes them or it, or it makes them a hero of the people, probably both. Um, but right. so, so the Cuban government, this was such a powerful movement that the Cuban government couldn't ignore it. And they actually addressed the song and the song lyrics and the model on wow. Cuban state television. That's incredible. So then there was a counter movement in Cuba of people making Patria Muerte profile pics. But what I like about that is it makes it easily identifiable who the commies in your neighborhood are. Oh, yeah. They tip themselves <laughs> off pretty easily around here. But people stood up and then people in Cuba started doing it. Then people in Cuba started doing those profile pictures. And then people in Cuba started getting rounded up. And then people in Cuba started getting disappeared. And that's when people said enough is enough. And they took to the streets. And in particular, the people who were rounded up the most were blacks. And so a lot of these riots, this started as black rights movement. And it is very unfortunate. And I, and I, I know who they are. I know that they're not what they say that they are. But it's really unfortunate that Black Lives Matter would side with a white communist regime that's torturing black people and directing their police force to directly target them. Not even in this abstract of racial profiling. They're sending them to black civil rights movements and killing them. And Black Lives Matter is siding with the regime. Yeah, I saw their tweets. It's very disheartening because for a lot of the activists here in the United States, who I'm, I'm in a lot of the group chats with, because a lot of the Black, uh, the Afro-Cuban activists were very sympathetic and active in a lot of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, events and, and marches and protests. Right. So was very disheartening to them to the like, wow you guys just completely sold out to pure communism instead of caring about black lives at all yeah we've seen that trend over the last uh several months i, I would say yeah but they, i mean this is probably the most sharp example like the the most obvious right. example most naked example of them not caring about black lives yeah. because 95% of the prisoners in Cuba are black. And this started as a hip hop song that motivated black people to stand up for their civil rights in Cuba. And, you know, I'd love to remind libertarians of the influence that we have when we're doing effective activism, police, right. the police cop block, all these different movements that we've had with, uh, that were started by good libertarians. And a lot of them were, uh, people that were in the Ron Paul revolution with me and hit the streets, all this, this, this movement toward keeping the police accountable by filming them. Exactly. In Cuba, people started filming the cops while they were having interactions with them. And they said, I have a right to film all public occurrences and it's a constitutional right here in Cuba. When the heck have you ever heard in a communist country that people are citing human rights from the constitution as their right to film the police in a communist country. No, that's, that's These freaking amazing. Were inspired by our activities here in the United States. It's because yeah. they have the internet and it's because the people who do those things are doing good work. Yeah. A lot of people like to downplay the role of social media and internet in our 
uh, everyday lives, but it plays a massive role. And you're laying out some freaking great examples. Well, well, all sorts of well, there's all sorts of examples of propaganda being effective for 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 governments, but also counter propaganda being effective right. for the liberty movement. My father-in-law was brought to a prison camp in Cuba. It was a forced labor camp in the 1960s after Ernesto Che Guevara nationalized the sugarcane industry. His reason for doing so was that it was not uh, good for the workers. It was exploitative to have a capitalist sugarcane industry, and so. When they abolished capitalist or private-run sugarcane industry, they had to nationalize it, and the production wasn't even 20% of what it was when people were actually getting paid to do it and happy because a company had to please their workers in order to get good production. And so in order to make up for the loss in production, they needed slaves. They needed to take all of their undesirables, which in this case many were black, who were not with the communist system, uh, homosexuals, Chinese Cubans, because the previous president, Batista, the dictator, was also ethnic Chinese. There was actually a huge Havana Chinatown before, and it still exists, but it's not really filled with many Chinese. Um, they also went after people who would have studied political science or who were in liberty movements or libertarian type or, or at the time uh, classical liberal schools and things like that. And they, they rounded up all those people. And my father-in-law in particular, his crime was that he was an economics student of Austrian Chicago School Economics. Wow. So they put him in a prison camp and how they got him and how they got everybody there was gun registration. I'm shocked. And I'll tell you how gun registration worked in Cuba. Very simple, very genius. It sounds exactly like the way they do it here. <laughs> um, we need to register all the guns in Cuba. We just need to know that this X serial number belongs to X gun owner. So since there are no serial numbers on guns in Cuba, you need to bring your gun to your municipal center and hand your gun over to an officer who will give you a receipt. You put your address on it and he'll send you back your gun with a serial number etched on it in the mail. Wow. As soon as they reach critical mass in that program. And, and of course, you know, they saw what the regime could do already. They saw what Fidel Castro could do already right. uh, at the beginning of the revolution. And, and when he took over Havana and the, the tortures of political dissidents and the tortures of the opposition. So they weren't, they knew they weren't playing around and they didn't want to get caught with an illegal gun and be accused of trying to start some sort of an armed counter revolution. So they said, I don't want to die. Um, so I'm going to go register my gun. So everyone did. And as soon as they hit critical mass, they took to the streets with buses and tractor trailers and any vehicle that they could commandeer from the public. They would just pretty much appropriate any, anything they wanted, anything they needed. It just the country completely belonged to them, just like it completely belongs to them now. And, um, right they would park buses in front of the movie theater around noon because couples were in there watching the matinee instead of working like a proper communist. 
And as soon as the show would let out, the doors would open and there would be military ready to receive them and throw them in tractor trailers and drive them for more than a day to the other side of the country. They didn't know where they were going. They couldn't really say goodbye to their girlfriends or to their families. They couldn't wrap up whatever affairs they had. Their lives at that point were completely and suddenly interrupted without any warning that this would happen. And that was immediately after they reached critical mass in gun confiscation. And my father-in-law postulates that if there had been just one person with a gun, just one at that movie theater, when they did that to his friends, they wouldn't have been able to take everybody. Right. Um, so my father-in-law, they cited him to a, to a town center to discuss being drafted in the military, and they, they wouldn't let him leave the building, and they just brought him to that work camp, and they forced these people to make sugarcane as slaves, uh, to cut sugarcane as slaves in deplorable conditions. Um, and there was always fresh blood on the wall so that they knew if they acted up or if they tried to escape that they would be summarily executed. Um, they... He did a lot of things there. The, they made them wear. So the propaganda aspect is they made them wear military uniforms to do this so that they could tell the rest of the world that there was no prison camp, that there was no concentration camp. They could tell the rest of the world that it was cadet training. And so that these were military units for aiding in production, which was exactly the name that they gave it. UMAP, Unidades Militares de Ayuda a la Producción. And they made newspaper articles in the communist circular that said, look at our cadets making sugarcane. So when they were finally released to their homes and they told of all the tortures that they suffered, they said, well, that's the life of a soldier, bub. And they said, but I wasn't a soldier. And they said, yes, you were. The newspaper said you were a cadet. Wow. So, so even to this day, there are people who my own father-in-law, his family, there are family members and friends who don't believe him about the things he suffered in this prison camp because the newspaper told him that he was a cadet. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And speaking of that propaganda, uh, why do you think it is that these major American institutions like academia and the media are running cover for the Cuban government? What? Why are okay, they doing so that? Yeah, so right now, there's all this misinformation about what the people are protesting about. Now the left is out in the streets pretending to be part of the pro-Cuban protests, uh, waving Cuban flags, uh, calling for an end to the embargo. And that's not what the Cuban activists in Cuba are asking for. That's not what the activists or, or the hip-hop artists, there's no lyrics in any of the songs that says, get your embargo off of me. Because the reality is there, there is no embargo. The, the, the embargo that Cuba has is just that tra- state-run state businesses can't trade with American businesses. But United States Office of Foreign Assets Controls with the Treasury Department, it's called OFAC, prioritizes agricultural and medicinal shipments to Cuba from the United States. So they receive hundreds of millions of dollars in agricultural just from the United States alone. And I'm talking chicken, meat, medicine, vegetables, everything, even apples, which there didn't used to be apples in Cuba. And Vietnam sends another $300 million a year in rice. Other countries do more. They're free to trade with over 190 countries in the world. There is no blockade. If there was a blockade, nobody would be allowed to do any of that. Right. So 
I think I do think that the, as a libertarian, I'm not a fan of the blockade, and I also think it's a cheap excuse for the for the left to say that there's some other reason that people are protesting. There's some other reason that Cubans are yeah. suffering than the fact that their government is abusing them. But the embargo is not in the streets right now, beating protesters with rebar. The embargo is not in the streets right now, kidnapping teenagers from their homes and forcing them to be riot police on the front line and giving them sticks to look like riot police while they can't even fit in the uniform because they're so skinny and and young and they're trying to get them killed. These are actually the children of the people who are protesting and they're trying to get their children killed by making them dress up as riot police and have people throw rocks at them. And the people refuse to do it, by the way. Cuban people are decent. People, the people who are protesting this evil government refuse to stoop to that level. And they say, son niños, these are children. We can't do anything right now. We can't protest while you have children in the street being the riot police. And so what do you see coming in the next couple of weeks, few weeks, month, well, six months? Yeah, so, so what, I was, what I was saying about that and what you were asking about that is why they're running cover for this. Why are they covering oh, yeah, that up? You know, why are they saying that the protest is something that it's not? Why are the solutions that are coming out of the White House even solutions that we're not asking for? You know, the solution that people are asking for and that the Cuban people are asking for is let us handle Cuba. Um, The United States has an order that says that you cannot go to Cuba for any purpose unless you're on, you know, You've already been given permission by the United States, Um, for example, a commercial flight to Cuba. You can't just get in a boat in Miami and go down to Cuba and help out your own friends and neighbors who are, you know, either your family members or people you grew up with. It's your island. You should be allowed to do that. And they're not allowed to do that. And at the same time, the United States has a naval and Coast Guard blockade on, on all Cuba's territorial waters right now to prevent people from going in or going out. So right now, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, who is the chief of Homeland Security, was born in Havana, whose family fled the island in the 60s and was granted asylum in the United States, has told people, if you try to escape, we're going to pick you up and send you back. And if you we pick you up and you establish a credible claim for political asylum, we'll send you to a third country for resettlement. And they are not even telling these people where they would be going. So on the island right now, they're completely defenseless. They don't have arms. They don't have weapons. And the U.S. government is also telling them, don't try to escape that. And also, we're not even going to let your own friends and family come to help. So what? what, Not the embargo. Right. But I mean, this is all the problem with the embargo because it takes money out of the communists' hands, because it takes money out of these people in the party that are abusing the people and using Cuba as their own personal farm. Why doesn't the media want that now? Well, I would like to know that. (laughs) I I feel like why is why is there and and it's just so naked and plain as day that there's such a pro-Cuban regime agenda in the media and in academia. And they tell stories about the literacy rate in Cuba. The literacy rate in Cuba was recognized by the United Nations in 1958 as the best literacy rate of all the Ibero-American countries. And that includes Spain. It was actually double the literacy rate of Spain in 1958. 
That's so the literacy rate in Cuba was actually illiteracy was being eradicated in Cuba already before the revolution took over. Andy Garcia actually touched on this last night on a surprisingly accurate NBC special about what's going on in the island. Yeah. And he said, it's like, they're like, oh, well, everybody can read in Cuba now and infant mortality is down and all this other stuff. And he says, they say this stuff as though that wasn't already happening in Cuba before they took over. Right. He said, they talk about Cubans being smart and, and, and ingenious like we were just stupid before the Castro regime came and, and gave us all these gifts of knowing how to read within a year. So, sure, the dictator was horrible, but you literally just replaced him with another dictator. It's like, why would we be comparing Stalin and Hitler? They both suck. They're both evil. Why would you say, oh, well, at least it's not Hitler or at least it's not Stalin? So, I have to so add, I've been... In academia, sorry. So, in academia, no, in academia, they lie to us. They lie to us. They tell us that there's this perfect socialist healthcare system in Cuba that we should be basing our healthcare system on in the United States. And the mayor of Washington, D.C., just this week mentioned that she likes to implement good practices or the best practices from governments around the world and looks to Cuba as a model for their education system in D.C. I mean, if you know anything about the education system in D.C., it sucks. And if right. you're modeling it on Cuba, that's really poor representation of what Cuba's doing. But kids in Cuba respect their, their, their parents and kids in Cuba respect their teachers. So there's a good education system. That's true. Um, but that's just, that's just natural from a society that shows respect to teachers. Uh, that yeah. has nothing to do with the communist government being involved because they have no resources. They just use their knowledge, what they can and have one or two room schoolhouses. Um, and the medicine system, the medicine system is neglected, neglectfully responsible for the death of my mother-in-law. And if you know anything about Cuban families, having your Cuban grandmother around in your children's life is extremely important to them. And my kids don't have that benefit. And it was because her, my wife's father was a political prisoner that they let her die from a condition that could have been easily treatable. So if you're not in the party or if you don't have a bribe for the doctors, and this still goes on today. If you don't have a bribe to give the doctors, for example, a, a couple pounds of meat so that the doctor can have some food, you don't get that Cadillac healthcare system that they claim that they have. Yeah, what are the hospitals actually like over there? Because I hear a lot of misinformation about this. There's a couple of hospitals where they bring foreign dignitaries, visitors, tourists, celebrities, and party members. And then there's the rest of Cuba, which is just, yep. it's, it's unimaginable, the conditions. There are no beds. They have patients with you know abdominal pain like 10 out of 10 abdominal appendicitis or recovering from abdominal surgeries sitting in chairs because there's no beds they have they have pretty much no modern resources and the hygiene the hygiene is terrible my my sister-in-law when she had a baby in cuba um you have to bring your own sheet and your own blanket or your own pillow from home Wow. The toilets are pretty much never in working order or clean. There's flies buzzing around. There's blood everywhere. Usually in the hospitals, there's old blood, and then there's older blood, and there's much older blood, and then there's fresh blood from the patient right there. It's There's all sorts of risks for cross-contamination, especially for hepatitis. Hepatitis is a big problem in Cuba. 
Yeah. Uh, there's, it's just not that good. And the doctors that they had, the Cuban government sends to foreign countries as missionaries, and they send them to accomplish missions in other countries to, you know, humanitarian aid missions so that they can look good. And this is in countries like Mozambique, countries like Angola, countries like Venezuela, Peru, a lot of times countries that have a lot of natural resources that the government is too inept or too poor to do to do anything with themselves. And Cuba sends doctors and says, well, we'll send these doctors as humanitarian aid and your people can say, yay, we finally have doctors here in our country. We didn't have doctors and teachers and, and coaches before. And now we have them. And you guys are awesome, Cuba. And Cuba's really good at sports, so they export a lot of their coaches. But what they're doing is using those as an inroads, not only to propagandize the people of those countries and turn those countries into staunch Marxist communist countries, because, oh, well, I appreciate these good Cuban doctors with the Cadillac service they're giving us here in these countries. Um, And they use that. And in exchange, they plunder the resources of poorer countries. I mean, this is literally human trafficking, the way they send these doctors, because these doctors aren't always on board either. They only do it because they know that they're not allowed to get their diploma or they're not allowed to move on in the education system or they're not allowed to further their unless they do one of these missions first. And they're not allowed to bring their families while they're on a mission so that if they do escape, something can still happen to their families or they just won't get to be with their families anymore. In Cuba, if you're a doctor and you have a foreign visa, you automatically have to drop everything and serve the regime for four full years as a doctor for free before you're allowed to use that visa to leave. Wow, that's incredible. I know some cardiologists here in the United States that went through that exact process. As soon as they found out he had a U.S. visa, they said, okay, now you're our slave for the next four years. And when you're done with that, then you're allowed to go to the United States by yourself without your family. So there's that aspect. Um, no, Cuban medicine. And, and meanwhile, in Cuba, they've exported so many doctors to foreign countries that there's no doctors in Cuba. The doctors right. in Cuba are actually nurses that have barely graduated anything. So now, now there's, a, there's, a new, there's a new joke in the Cuban community and people are like, oh, well, what were you in Cuba? And they're like, oh, yo fui médico. Like I was a doctor and everybody was a doctor and it's because it was just so easy to graduate and become a doctor. And that's, that's a horrible representation, even of, you know, this socialist system that they claim they're trying to implement here. But, you know, in Cuba, when they took over with their propaganda, everything that they would say was stuff like, well, we're about social justice. We're about making sure everybody gets free health care. We're about making sure that, that everybody is treated fairly based on race and everything like the 1940 Constitution of Cuba already guaranteed equal rights to absolutely everyone, no matter race, creed, sex, political point of view, or anything like that. And unfortunately, they had a dictator named Fulgencio Batista who disregarded that. But most of the revolutionaries were not in it for communism. They were in it for restoration of the 1940 Constitution that already guaranteed human rights. And meanwhile, Fidel takes over in 1959 and takes all the undesirable classes and dehumanizes them and puts them in prison camps and kills them. So So who is human rights here? Right, right. And that, so, that kind of goes back to what I was saying. I'm kind of echo. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I talk over you too much. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's fine. I'm, that's I'm getting some feedback. Let me see if I can work it out. 
However, what However, I was saying was, um, it's kind of it's what kind I've of been what hearing is that you're watching the watching same the thing from the propaganda wheel play itself play out itself here out in this country that's been playing itself play out itself in Cuba. Is that right? I'm sorry about that. My I had to turn my car on. It's hot in here. <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead and ask me that one more time. All right. So there's a bit of an echo. But kind of what I was alluding to earlier was that you're seeing the same propaganda work itself through here in America as it did in Cuba, right? Right. I mean, it's kind of like the writing on the wall. Like, this is the propaganda we're seeing. That's what they're trying to push. This is what they're trying to tell us in order to get us in that direction. That's what I feel like anyway. Yes, absolutely. They're, they're doing the exact same thing here. And meanwhile, in the United States, in academia, like I said, children are being raised or teenagers are being raised to believe that Cuba is this model system that it just simply isn't. It's just a fairy tale. There's absolutely no no basis in reality for any of the claims that are being made in American universities about Cuba. And so it's just based on lies. And then they take to the streets and say, well, all that, all that stuff that they taught us in school is amazing and would be more amazing if there wasn't a blockade. So that's what's strangling the Cuban people and keeping them from having a perfect Bernie Sanders revolution like what we want to have here. And it's just all predicated on lies. Yeah. And why are they doing this? So then, then when you expose this, the news media says, well, that's not even what you're protesting about. You're protesting about COVID vaccines and the embargo. Yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, the Cuban people have dealt with this for 62 and a half years and they're desperate and they're hungry. They're mostly hungry for the right to free expression. I saw a post just today from a friend of mine uh, who happened to first move to my building when she moved to the United States from Cuba. And I was actually I was surprised to see this post today because I remember that every single Cuban that comes to the United States and comes to my neighborhood, I make sure to welcome them and let them know that I'm not a communist, that I'm against their government. And a lot of some of these people, they actually, they still belong to the government down there, or they still have family in the government and they won't really speak out. But I made sure I was like, Hey, you know, I work in pro baseball and my job is to help Cuban ball players escape. You're in, you know, you're in safe territory here. She just posted today. And this is like 10 years later. She posted today. When me and my family first came from Cuba, we used to whisper whenever we would discuss Castro or anything on the island because we weren't sure what our neighbors would think because we were still afraid to express ourselves freely. And after a while, we finally decompressed and understood our freedom and were able to speak out loud. Wow. And I, I, it floored me because I, I had always thought, you know, these people were as open as possible with me. But Apparently, on those certain issues, they would whisper to each other in the house. Jeez. And that's when they get here, they're still afraid. So moving on to why this is like, what's, what's going to happen next? I don't know exactly, yeah. but I will tell you that Cubans in the United States, it, is, it has been a revolutionary act for them to put Patria y Vida on their profile pics in the United States or, or in other countries or in Cuba. Because those are things that could get your family or you hurt. And there are Cuban agents in a lot of the other countries where they're doing, and they do have carte blanche to do whatever they want to Cuban citizens that are in those countries. 
So there are reasons to be afraid. I know a Venezuelan. His name is Luis. And I met him actually at a rally in Miami with Martha Bueno. And he said, David, I don't have a meme page like you. I don't have reach. I don't have, and I really don't know what else to do for Venezuela. I'm not a political activist per se, but when I see something, I share it. And for us, that's called selectivism. For us, that's like, that's, that's the easiest thing in the world. But for them, it's a revolutionary act that could get them in all sorts of trouble, but they do it anyway because they know it's time for freedom. Yeah. So that was, I actually was going to follow up with a, or finish up with a two-part question. We're running into about an hour, but you just answered the first question. What's it going to look like? And the next question is, other than posting that, what can we do over here? Well, we, we, absolutely, we have to do that. That, that is what we have to do. We have to keep posting stuff about what we see in Cuba. Uh, we should be out in the streets leading some of these rallies or at least bolstering their numbers. You know, liberty activists have shown time and again that they are completely capable of rallying for things that they find important to them. So, for example, gun rights is a major issue. Free speech is a major issue. What if I told you that the whole reason there's a revolutionary attitude in this country or this attitude in this country to move progressively towards socialism is because Cuba has indoctrinated our universities to teach these younger political activists that that's how the United States should look. The whole thing, everything that you see in this march toward communism in the United States, a lot of it comes from Cuba. And a lot of the people in these other countries that are desperate right now because leftism has taken full control and they have communist governments that are allied with Cuba, a lot of those people say, we'll be free when Cuba's free because Cuba's pulling the strings. And like the old Soviet Union, Cuba was a satellite of the Soviet Union. Now Cuba is the Soviet Union and all these other countries are Cuba satellites, including American academia, including CNN that covers rallies of the counter protests, but won't ask one single Cuban in the United States why they're protesting. Yeah, they don't want we, this is our fight. This is a uniquely American fight. If you are any form of anti authoritarian, uh, any form of 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 protester or, or, or activist for human rights in the United States, the fight against the Cuban communist regime is our fight here because they're doing it that. to us here. I keep saying that. I keep it's, saying that it's, all over the place. Yeah, it's, it's our fight. And that's why, that's why, and I, and I'm sorry I did it in this way, but I was, I was pretty desperate. I, I, oh, you're fine. it's difficult to get a lot of the major podcasters to even discuss this right now. Uh, it, it even some of them are like, well, Biden already spoke and gave a solution and it's starting to die down in the news. And in my opinion, cashing out of this conversation right now is like cashing out of Bitcoin when it hit $1.75. <laughs> That's a good analogy. This is I don't getting know. bigger. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So oh, there's an echo there's coming an echo back, on back on me. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to keep it might, it might have to do with the fact that I've got your volume up so that I can hear you on my phone and then it feeds back at you. So I, I turned that down a little. Yeah, I'm sorry. 
No, you're good. It's just something that I'm going to continue to cover, whether other people do or not. I haven't been paying attention to what other people are doing, but every time I get a chance to talk to somebody of your caliber about what's going on in Cuba, I have you on. You know, this was very short notice, so it's freaking awesome. Here's, here's a fun one. On. Here's a fun one for you. In Cuba, in, 19, in 1954, there was at least one cow for every Cuban on the island. And now Cubans are not allowed to own cows. And if you kill a cow without government permission, you get life in prison. I heard that. Here's a fun one. Cuba was the first country to build an air-conditioned hotel, and now no one has air conditioning. I mean, wow. it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And Cuba, before the revolution, had over 8,000 schools for K through 12 including almost 2,000 schools in rural areas. I mean, it's just astounding how the revolution just tries to take, the communists try to take credit for things that Cubans were already really good at. So the things that Cubans were already really good at, they take credit for, and then any of the prosperous aspects of it, they've just totally pillaged. And they use Cuba as their personal farm. And the Cuban people here in the United States are sick of having to support their families because the regime takes most of their stuff. I mean, it doesn't mean they wouldn't do it willingly to take care of their families. It's just they're sick of it. And the people in Cuba that don't have families abroad, just they don't get anything. Right. Meanwhile, the, the, the government officials have, like I said, foreign investments in the hundreds of billions of dollars. And they use those to vacation and they use those to buy Lamborghinis in Venezuela, a country where a bottle of water is a month's salary. They're buying Lamborghinis and driving them around the poor people of another poor country that they're plundering the oil from. Utter correction. It, it, it has to stop. It's unconscionable. And for and for the politicians on the left and for the media and academia and the useful idiots to just gloss all of this over at some point they know the facts of what are happening what's happening in cuba and they're complicit they don't want the truth to get out because it would hurt their narrative of cuba being a perfect socialist system that we should be modeling ourselves after so that's why when you hear something about cuba or when you have an opportunity to talk to somebody about cuba you tell them the truth because we're being smoke screened and gaslit to the point where Thanks. people just believe Bernie Sanders take his word for it on Cuba because he's somehow the expert. And it's just nonsense and it's fairy tales and absolutely no piece of it is rooted in reality. So please be vocal about it. You know, take it as your own fight. Educate yourself on why real Cubans are out in the streets right now. You know, learn things like that. Post about it. Post about it, post about it, because if anything we learned, they are encouraged on the island when they see that they have foreign support. Nice. Tomorrow is the revolution's number one holiday is the 26th of July. And that's why I'm so glad that you were able to squeeze me in tonight, because tomorrow in an hour and a half or two and a half hours from now, is the 26th of July. It's, the, it's Revolution Day in Cuba tomorrow. 
And there are rumors that a lot of people are getting geared up for that. Whether they actually end up being able to do something, I don't know. The situation is really bleak in Cuba right now. The government has most places militarized. If you go out in a group of more than two people, they will walk up to you and start pushing you around and harassing you, asking why you're out, maybe even beat you. A 16-year-old girl was beaten in the face today in Cuba. Her eyes were completely puffed shut. Her mouth was, was puffed up. And just for taking a walk with her sister. Oh, my God. So there are things going on. There's active human rights abuses. And that's why I say they're complicit when they gloss this stuff over, because there is the uh, uh, makings of a political genocide happening in real time in Cuba. We're watching the videos. We're seeing it. Those of us that have family on the island are seeing it. And. In America, they just painted as, well, they have a vaccine shortage. That's pretty credible, right, guys? Uh, you, we're talking about vaccines a lot. So in Cuba, they have a shortage of that, uh, while simultaneously having the greatest med- medical system on Earth, somehow. Um, right. They've got a shortage of these vaccines. So, okay, out of sight, out of mind. Cuba's a poor country. We already knew that. That's the American news cycle. But we're not going to let it drop out of the news cycle. We're having rallies in every single city across the world tomorrow in favor of Cuban liberty. And hopefully they're able to do it in Cuba, too. Are you still banned on Facebook? Oh, yeah. That's another thing. I mentioned that police were showing up by the busload to beat protesters with rebar. I saw that on a live stream that was being filmed from Havana um, down on the street, showing the police showing up in their buses. And they were getting out and clanking rebar on the ground and walking toward where there was a protest. And I said, burn the buses. (laughs) I said, burn the buses. I mean, this is in defense of human rights who who were actively being attacked. I just said, burn the buses. Like as a way of maybe you could... Maybe you could distract them and get them to have to put out the fires on their buses instead of focus on on beating people to death. Right. And Facebook banned me immediately. And I even used a Cuban term, which is guaguajesa. Guagua is a Cuban slang for a bus. It's not even what they would use in Mexican regional Silicon Valley Spanish. So I shot back an appeal that said, well, you guys didn't understand the meaning of my comment. And immediately it came back. My appeal had gained me another 23 days. So I'm on a full 30 day ban for saying that people should rebel against police who are literally showing up in real time to beat them with rebar. That's what Facebook is running cover for. That's incredible. I was going to ask you to go live tomorrow, but I can't. I can't. That's that's another one of the reasons I'm desperate to get get a hold of folks like you. I have good news in the fight, um, in the fight for being the counter propaganda. I, I did want to tell you really, really fast. I, I'll try to wrap up soon. I'm sorry. I know I know we're a little late on time. Uh, my father-in-law would not have known that he could come to the United States if he had not heard an illegal broadcast from the United States that said you were in the United. If you were in this uh, work camp. In the 1960s, in these specific dates, by this name, in this town, you're eligible for a U.S. humanitarian visa. And he had no idea, and he just happened to tune into the show at that time. That's the value of the counter-propaganda. So here in the United States, I try to always be the counter-propaganda, tell people the truth, transmit it to wherever I can, including holding all these Cuban protests that we're having in New York City, in Washington, D.C., in Miami, 
I've been helping to organize a lot of the ones in the New York region. And what I did was very unique. I went to Queens, New York, in a neighborhood called Flushing, where everybody's Chinese. You know, think about what's happening in China right now. They also have an incredibly repressive government, probably one of the worst in the world and the best at hiding it behind American pop culture. So I went to Queens and I said, I know there's anti-communists here. I know for a fact that the Falun Gong has a lot of people here. And that's a, that's a religious sect that China has maligned as a cult, just so everybody can write them off as crazy and meanwhile, genocide them. Wow. So I found them. I was eating my lunch or they found me. I guess they have a a way they can recognize an anti-commie when they see one, which is a badge of honor for me. But they shoved a petition in front of my face on the street that said, end the evil Chinese Communist Party. And it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Where's the pen? Where's the pen? Where's the pen? Yes. (laughs) As I signed it and I said, I have been looking for you guys. Tomorrow we're having a protest in front of the United Nations And it's an anti-communist pro-Cuban liberty protest. And they, Falun Gong, is very well recognized in the international human rights community. And in the Chinese community, the ones that are here that read independent Chinese press, that educate themselves on information that's not straight state-controlled Chinese information. And they came to our protest and they interviewed every single Cuban exile, refugee, and immigrant that was at that protest. And they printed their stories verbatim from what those people said in Chinese. And millions of people will see this. That's the effectiveness of getting out on the street and doing something for the cause of liberty. Now, millions of Chinese people are going to be awakened to the fact that Cubans are fighting back. And maybe, just like the Black Lives Matter protests inspired the people in Cuba, maybe the protests against the communist regime in Cuba could inspire some things in China. Who knows? I hope so. I'm talking to the guy that's... I mean, I wouldn't do this stuff if I didn't think that liberty has a way of finding its voice and of of having its time in the world when, when the world looks the darkest. That's my mom. She's such a sweetheart. Yeah, I had to throw that up there. Are you going to want to jump on Clubhouse and talk to some folks about this? Yeah, I'll do that. All right, well, uh, you got anything to plug? Any websites, any links? Um, not really. I, I, everybody knows that I'm on Liberty memes. I have been using Liberty memes to post a lot of this information in English. A lot of the memes that I have. Um, so because Cubans are desperate to get their message out to people who aren't Cuban, we're not trying to keep this into in a tight knit group right now. We're trying to get this out to the world, like sound the alarm guys, the Cuban government came for me and it is coming for your country too. So if you could be on Liberty Memes Returns and you see anything about Cuba, please share it. Um, if you want to help raise awareness, find a pro-Cuban liberty profile filter and upload it. It would be really, really helpful to the entire cause. That's awesome. Now, a lot of people want to find ways to donate money to the Cuban situation. Like I said before, it's not one of those situations that we should write off as, oh, that's just a poor country that doesn't have resources. The causes that you should be giving to for Cuba right now 
should have to do with making sure that everybody's able to connect their phones to the internet. Yep. So I've heard so Liberty Shamrock says, Connie, can someone can spell someone out the message that he's indicating? indicating? Is there a profile pic frame or something? Yes. Um, Patria, P-A-T-R-I-A, E Vida, Y, and then space V-I-D-A. That's Fatherland in Life, Patria y Vida, or you can type it somewhere on the chat or whatever you want to do. And that is the profile filter that people are using and the things that these people are posting about in the Cuban exile community and in the Cuban immigrant community around the world. And even in Cuba, the people who are protesting the government. And believe me, it is dangerous for them to do this. It is dangerous to their well-being. It is dangerous. Most there is a brand new class of Cuban exiles in the world. It used to be you could go back to Cuba and visit your family, but so many, and I'm talking millions of Cubans in the exterior have gone on to do this, to post about Padre Vida and against the regime. So many people have done this and the Cuban government is keeping tabs. And if they try to go back to Cuba, they will be arrested for that as well. So now these people who used to go for, for Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and Easter, they would even here in my own neighborhood, people travel back to Cuba all the time to visit their families, to bring them things, to bring them clothes and things. That's all over. So this is a zero sum game for Cubans on the island and Cubans in the exterior. Right. They're risking everything right now for freedom of their people and we should let them encourage and we should be amplifying the voices of people who know the Cuban struggle, not people who just want to paint a fairy tale about Cuba being this nice, beautiful place. It is a nice, beautiful place. There are people there are so amazing. Their musical talents, their poetry, their, their ability to make cigars and rum are delicious things and amazing things are amazing. But Cubans on the island don't even know what those things taste like. There are Cubans who come to the United States and try Cuban food for the first time. That's incredible. Wow. And I mean, it, it breaks me up. That's incredible. I, I, yeah. So, that's- so one thing I want to plug, if you have a podcast or you know somebody who has a podcast, let me or Diego Rivera or Martha Bueno come on and talk to you about this and talk to your audience about this because America needs to wake up because Cuba has its fingers in our academia, in our media. And I'm not being a crazy conspiracy theorist. They are covering things that are the opposite of what the Cuban protesters are saying. I got a couple of people I'm hooking up with. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, Let's Um, let's let's jump off of here and get on Clubhouse. Yeah. Have a good night. Patria y vida. Viva Cuba Libre. That's right. I'll talk to you in just a few minutes, David. Sweet. That's absolutely incredible what's going on over there. Uh, we're very privileged to get this firsthand information straight from somebody that's high caliber, like David Gay. Uh, follow Liberty Memes, Liberty Memes $5 Club. Follow Martha Bueno. Um, it's incredible. We're going to be keeping up with the story, and we're absolutely going to follow this. Pretty much at this point, it looks like it's about every week or every other week that we'll we'll find something to uh, 
to talk about, well, not find some, we'll find someone to, to come on here that knows way more about this than I do. I mean, I'm just going to sit here and listen. That's just, I don't know enough as, as these people do. So I'm going to sit here and listen and figure out what I can do to be better and how I can more effectively spread this uh, message. Padre y vida. And so, um, oh, Jacob says, okay, I'm back. Freaking stream cut out. Yeah, um, it's thundering here. So it, it might cut out here in a second too. I'm going to go ahead and jump off of here and we're going to jump on to Clubhouse. Go ahead and download the app. I'll open the room and it will be with David's name in it. My name, Cage Libertarian, and something about Cuba. So you shouldn't, shouldn't be able to miss it. And if you're not on Clubhouse, go ahead and download it and follow me, follow David. A lot of people you can follow. And then uh, we're going to jump on there and, and let him just answer questions because, uh, you know, he's got a lot more information that we can get out there. So anything you want to ask David directly, jump on Clubhouse. I'm about to start the room here in just a minute. Other than that, I will see you tomorrow night. Same Cajun time, same Cajun channel with just a thought. And, of course, yes, we will be spending a little time with Brian Scott Lambrick. Boom. Tell some people to kick rocks. Yes, that. And how is that racist? And, of course, my wrap-up final thoughts and just a thought. So I will see you tomorrow night, same Cajun time, same Cajun channel. I love you all very much, and I am out. Mm -hmm.